This is the Life Church Podcast. There's a parable kind of story that has been out for quite a long time. In fact, I first heard this uh, uh, like when I was in Bible school 30 years ago. And uh, it's, it's, it's about the story. It's a parable of the rich king who was alone. Basically, I'm going to read it to you real quick. It says this. Once upon a time, there was a very rich, it's kind of an abbreviated version, a very rich but unhappy king. Unhappy because he was all alone in an empty palace. How he longed for a wife with whom he could share his life. Then one day, the king saw the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. In the, in, ever seen in the streets of his kingdom. Inquiries revealed she was a peasant girl, but the king's heart was captivated. He would, not, he would make sure that each day he rode past her house in, in hope that she would catch a glimpse of his love. But the king had a problem. How would he win her love? He could draw up a royal decree, commanding her to become, one of his, become his queen and love him. But then how could he be sure that he had won her love? I mean, she would only be doing it because she was required to do it. Perhaps he could call on her and try to win her over, appear in all of his regal glory and sweep her off his feet, off her feet. But no, then, then he could never know and be sure whether she married him you know, only for his power and riches. Finally, he came upon the perfect plan. He would come to her as a peasant. She's a peasant girl. That was the only way to truly win her love. So he abandoned his palace and his riches and his comfort and put on the clothes of a peasant. He went and lived among the peasants. He worked with them, shared their sufferings, shared their sufferings, danced at their feasts. He lived among them. This was the only way. In John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Last week we talked about this, how... John emphasizes the the divinity, the deity of Christ. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So the king is in his palace. He is the king. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings. Luke chapter 2. The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. Better word there would be rags and placed him in a manger. Another better word there would be a feeding trough. And so the king came to her as a peasant because of love. It was the only way. And this is really the gift that we celebrate around the Christmas season, that a king came and dwelt among us. It was the greatest gift ever given to humankind. You and I are the recipients of that. He came to us because he loved us so much he couldn't live without us. It was the only way, and yet this gift that that God has given has gone largely unnoticed and often even rejected. We talked last week about presents that we get that, uh, that, you know, they're practical gifts. They're not like what we're hoping for around Christmas season. It's kind of like the gift that we get. It's probably like my parents, you know, socks and underwear. You know, you, you need socks and underwear. You have to wear socks and underwear. But it's not like what you're longing for. It's not like what you're hoping for. So there's those kinds of gifts. But we all know that there are gifts that you don't really want, right? They're pointless gifts. They're impractical gifts. Do you have anybody in your life like that that gives you those kind of gifts? You know, that 
You, you get it and you're opening it up and you look at it and the first thing you think is, who can I re-gift this to, you know, right? That's what you're thinking because it's just pointless to you, right? It's impractical. Now, I, was, I would say, like last week, remember I had a little, we had a little exercise where I asked you to tell somebody next to you, uh, you know, the gift that you really hope for. I thought about doing that th- this week, but then I thought, no, that's dangerous. You might be telling them of an impractical gift you received that they might have given to you, so that you might, that might that's not a good idea. So I, I looked up a few on the internet. I, I found a couple of these kind of impractical gifts that people have received or gifts that they didn't really want, Right? Uh, for example, I saw there was a woman who was given a year's supply of Nutrisystem for Christmas. Now, okay, now wait a minute. That's, a, that's, a, that's an expensive gift. It could be a practical gift, right? But it's delicate, right? Who, just, who gives it to you is the question, right? And so this woman, as she was writing, she's obviously pointing out that she received it from her mother-in-law. Like, that's how she felt. It's like, my mother-in-law gave this to me. Like mom, mother was trying to tell her something, I think. A guy, he received nose hair clippers from his wife <laughs> in his Christmas stocking. That's a practical gift if you have that problem for sure, but it's not a Christmas gift. <laughs> you don't ever give that for Christmas, all right? That's like pointing out the obvious. You just don't do that. And so this is, if you're, if you're married and your, your husband has that problem, just pull him aside and say, hey, listen, there's a problem there. Some carpet growing out of your nose. Will you take care of it? You know, and let him discreetly go to Walmart and find some nose hair clippers and take care of business, right? I started talking about this and I realized right now I'm staring at an HD camera that has us on camera and I'm like, okay, I, I hope I'm okay there, you know? <laughs> Anyways, another guy, <laughs> another guy gave his wife a mood ring. <laughs> Amateur move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's a practical gift because, you know, it kind of helps you. Like you, if you own a mood ring, you know, it kind of helps you to measure how things are going with you. You know, if you need to kind of calm down, you need to breathe a little bit or whatever. But to give it to somebody else, especially your wife as a gift, that's kind of, I'm sure that when she was putting it on, it was already black. I mean, it was like, it was picking up all kind of anger going on, you know. So we all have presents that we don't really, that we really don't want or need. And we've tried to figure out how to re-gift them and all that. But what's interesting is, and surprising too, is that that's kind of how this first Christmas went. This first Christmas was a lot like that. Jesus was born. God was giving the most expensive, most extravagant, most, most amazing gift that could ever be given to humankind. And yet it went largely rejected and not received. In John chapter 1, verse 10, it says this, He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, here John is emphasizing the fact that he is God and that he has made this world. Though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They missed him somehow or another. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They turned his back on them. They rejected him. The word, Greek word there in the, in the text Receive is the word perlambano, which basically means receive, but it's more than just receiving. It kind of, it kind of really talks about the, the, the attitude that one has, the, the way in, in which somebody receives a gift, right? It's to take to oneself, to embrace, 
to love, to care, to, to go all out for. That's this idea of receiving here. It's, it's a very personal word. And so maybe a good way for, for you to understand it or see it in our context today is if you go to a wedding and the, the, the pastor or minister stands up there and he says, do you take so-and-so to be your wife? That word take very easily be made paralambano. Do you receive? Do you embrace? Do you love? Do you care for? Do you go after? That's really this idea of paralambano, right? It's an appropriate response for the kind of gift that God has given us, and yet it wasn't really received. We didn't receive it that way. It wasn't, it was kind of rejected by his creation. But what's interesting is that this time of year, though, it's interesting how Christmas can be one of those neutralizing factors. Well, we really embrace Jesus to some extent. Like you go shopping. Now, for Christmas presents during the Christmas holidays, you, you go shopping. It's not unusual to hear Christmas carols being played over the, the, the loudspeakers at Target or at the mall or some other store. Something that under normal circumstances would pr- pretty much be a violation, right? Somebody would feel like their rights are being violated by, by, this, by this store embracing that kind of music. And yet, around this time of year, we, we, we typically can, can hear that going on all the time. I think the reason why is because people like the Christmas Jesus. People like the Christmas Jesus, right? I mean, there's something non-threatening about a baby in a manger. Non-demanding about some little child who came and, you know, Bethlehem and the stars and the angels. I think think it was best said by the famous Ricky Bobby. Anybody know who Ricky Bobby is? If you're laughing, you watch the movie, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's this fictional character played by Will Ferrell, Talladega Nights is the movie. This is what he says. Whenever you pray, whenever you pray, you can pray to whatever Jesus you want to. You can pray to the teenage Jesus or the grown-up Jesus or the bearded Jesus, but I like the Christmas Jesus. This is Ricky Bobby talking. I like praying to a cuddly little baby. I want to pray to him. That's really it, isn't it? That's the sentiment. That's the culture that we live in. We love the baby Jesus. We love the Christmas Jesus. But here's the thing. The Christmas Jesus becomes the crucified Jesus. That's the story. The story that we celebrate around Christmas is really the beginning of a total story. That Christmas Jesus becomes the crucified Jesus. And by by and large, Jesus was rejected, not received. And when I say not received, I mean he was beaten beyond recognition. A crown of thorns was pressed on his head that it actually pierced into his skull. He was then hung on a tree to die. He was not received. Isaiah 53 says that he was despised and rejected by men. So why? Why was the best gift ever rejected? Would any of you do that? If you had knowledge that this was the best gift ever, would you reject it? Would you not receive it? Why? Well, I have a few thoughts. Maybe, maybe they were just offended by his message. Maybe that's what it was. They were just offended by his message. You know, people seem to really like 
the Christmas Jesus. They loved the miracle Jesus, right? Man, they flocked the miracle Jesus. But I don't think they really liked the preaching Jesus very much. There's a story in John chapter 6 where uh, Jesus, you know, the, the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, this amazing miracle with five loaves and two fishes. He feeds this large mass of people. And people love the miracle Jesus, so they're flocking him. And see, Jesus sees this crowd, he's like, whoa, here's an opportunity. So he starts preaching. And if you read towards the end of that text, you'll find that it says that from that point on, not many people followed him anymore. They love the miracle Jesus. They love the Christmas Jesus, but they don't really like the preaching Jesus so much. They like, they're kind of comfortable with, the baby, with him as a baby, but not so much with him as a man. It's also true to say that many rejected Jesus because in receiving Jesus, it meant that you had to reject someone else. John chapter 12, it says this, many people did not believe in him. In other words, they didn't receive him. They did not, I'm, I'm sorry, did believe him. Many people did believe him. However, including some of the Jewish leaders, so there's, there's a, a lot of people who are believing him, but there's also these, this group of people that you would think that are not believing in him. Those people are also believing in him. It goes on. But they, would, they, wouldn't, admit, they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So there's people who have believed, but they haven't actually received Jesus. They haven't actually embraced him. They cared more about what people think than really what God thinks. And so there's this idea that, yes, I think he's the hope. And I feel, I feel like that's how a lot of people feel like this these days. Yes, I love Jesus. I believe in him. But... I don't know, you know, I mean, if I go all out, if people know and find out about it, then maybe I'll, I'll get rejected by people. And so sometimes we reject Jesus out of fear of being rejected. What I want to do though today is I want to pay special attention to two groups of people during the time of Jesus that rejected him, that did not receive him, the Romans and the Jews. If you read the, through the Gospels, you'll find that that's exactly what happened. The Romans and the Jews had rejected Christ. First is the Romans rejected Jesus, and not because of Jesus, but because they hated the Jews. They just hated the Jews. There was this culture clash that had occurred between the Romans and the Jewish people. Obviously, the Jews felt like they were oppressed by the Romans. And so they did everything they could to, to thwart any kind of activities the Romans had. If they could, a zealot would sneak into the crowd and stab a Roman soldier in the back and then run off in the crowd. They were at odds with their culture, their religion, their values. There was tension between the Jews and the Romans. <clears throat> Roman soldiers hated being stationed in what they called the armpit of the world. Talking about Palestine. And so this tension existed. There was this, they just hated the Jews. And because they hated the Jews, by default, Jesus associated with them, they were going to reject Jesus altogether. And when I understood that, it just seemed, sounded very familiar to me. Sounds like what's going on even in our day today, right? So a lot of people have not given Jesus a chance because they just, they just don't like Christians. When we first started Life Church 13 years ago, I remember I made, it a, I made it a point for myself to kind of try to understand why is it that some people are just, they, they, what's, their, what's their perceived reasons for why they don't want to go to church or why they don't want to 
embraced, you know, the, the, the God of the Bible. And so I expected, this is what I expected. I expected to hear people tell me, well, I'm an atheist. I don't really, the claims in this book are just fiction to me. I don't believe them. I don't embrace them. I don't agree with them. I expected to hear some people say, well, I'm agnostic, you know, maybe they're true, maybe they're not true, but honestly, they're just so far out there that my scientific way of thinking is a lot better than really embracing that. That's what I expected to hear, but instead, I heard stories. That's what I heard when I would have conversations with people. Like Craig, for example, told me this. He said, my parents went to church in a small town in northern Iowa. My parents gave sacrificially to that church. They helped build their building only to later discover that the pastor, the minister, had been embezzling funds for years. He said, so he says, I believe Jesus is right on, but I just can't accept his people. Jen said this, after many years of a difficult marriage, I was divorced. I was told by some church elders that I had sinned grievously and that I could never remarry. I was even pushed out of church, like not allowed to participate. And before long, I found myself just leaving the church altogether. She said, I later discovered that one of the elders that came and told me that I had sinned grievously and that I could never, never remarry, one of those elders had actually been in an affair for many, many years of his life. And they, he and his wife ended up divorced as well. My own son, actually, has... I have a son that experienced that um, when he was 17 years old. We are in California, and uh, he was not at a good place in his life at that point. He was still struggling, but still, he would come to church with us. And one day, he brought one of his buddies, Alex, and uh, Alex Castro. And Alex uh, was a good kid, but grew up in a really rough home as well. Never been to church, and they sat in the back before service started, and Alex pulled out one of the pens that were in front of the, in the pew in the front, pulled out the pen and started flicking the, the, the little clicker part of the pen, click, 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 click. Service hadn't even started, but one of the deacons in the church heard the clicking from the front of the church, which is not that big of a church, from here to the back there. He heard the clicking, and it kind of infuriated him. So he got up, he marched back to the back of the church and snatched the pen out of Alex's hand, looked at my son Jonathan and said, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're a pastor's son. And then looked at Alex and said, stop making noise and noise in the house of God. At which point my son, in some very colorful language, said, forget you. <laughs> he got up and he walked out and walked, out, walked away from church for years and years and years until recently he gave his life back to Christ. <laughs> There are people who have rejected Jesus because they've rejected God's people. And maybe this describes some of you here this morning. You're here because your parents have drugged you along. You're here because, well, your friend invited you. You don't want to say no to him. After all, he's going to take you to lunch afterwards, so you can't say no to him, right? <laughs> but these aren't your people. You don't feel like, you just don't like this environment. You don't like being here. And maybe you have some valid reasons, but can I tell you, yes, we are sinners. Yes, yes, there are hypocrites among us right now. Yes, there are some in this room right now who have some skeletons in the closet that they're hiding. Yes, there are some weird ones among us as well. 
And if you're like a Christian here, like, I don't know any weird Christians. Well, anyways, I won't say any more. <laughs> but can I appeal to you? Don't let the wrapping paper stop you from opening up the most precious gift that God has given to humankind. Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. This is what happened to the Romans. They rejected Jesus because they basically associated him with the children of God. Jesus was also rejected by his own, his own people. The Bible tells us that John chapter 1, that's who John's primarily referring to when he talks about his own rejected him, right? Uh, and part of that's because their expectations of what the Messiah would look like. See, their, their understanding of Messiah is that the Messiah would come as this conquering king, who was basically going to overthrow the Roman Empire and he was going to establish God's kingdom once and for all and, and they would live in freedom and they would live in peace and they would live under their laws and all of that was just so important to them. That's how they understood the Messiah to be. He was a savior. He was going to overthrow the Roman government. And for much of his ministry, it seemed like that's where it was going for Jesus. I mean, we look at Jesus from 2,000 years perspective and we see him heal a sick person we think yes there's healing for me today they looked at Jesus currently and when he healed a sick person they said yes the Messiah is present the Messiah is going to overthrow the Roman Empire that's how they were seeing it they saw a little bit different perspective than how we see it and so from their vantage point yes this was the Messiah and there's this moment, remember we call it Palm Sunday, where Jesus is riding a donkey and he's coming into Jerusalem and, and everybody's praising the king and they're laying down these palm branches at, at his feet and all this great stuff is happening. This was how they inaugurated a king. This is how they invited a king into, into, into leadership. And so Jesus is coming in, but then there's this twist that happens. He gets arrested. Then he gets beaten up. Then a crown of thorns gets pressed on his head and he stands before, before this ruling council and they accuse him of blasphemy. And suddenly the same crowd that had been laying palm branches at his feet, they start chant chanting in unison, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They rejected him completely because he was not the Messiah that they were expecting. I think sometimes people reject Jesus because Things just haven't turned out the way you expected it to turn out. Right? So you walk away. But here's what you need to know about God. As a gift giver, he loves to give surprises. Do you have anybody in your life like that that gives those, those gifts that are like a surprise gift? Right? Now, I don't mean like the gift altogether is a surprise, but you're expecting a gift, but it's not what you, when, as you're unwrapping the gift, you're thinking it's one thing and it turns out to be something completely different. Like you know, you're sitting under the, you're sitting around the Christmas tree, you know, and and you pull the thing, the gift out that has your name on it, like rich, and it looks, it's wrapped up and it looks like a waffle iron, and you're like, well, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't need a waffle iron, <laughs> I've got one, I don't need another one, right? And you're already kind of despising the gift a little bit, you know, because it's, gosh, it's a waffle iron, really. But then you open it up, and as you pull it apart, you realize that inside that waffle iron is actually a $1,000 gift card to Best Buy. My wife is not here, but I'm giving her hints. I, th I hope you're watching online. 
these surprise gifts. And I think about that. That's how God is with us in many ways. Talking about God surprises, I think about Doug and Carla Johnson. Some, many of you know Doug and Carla Johnson, members here at Life Church. They just had a little baby, little Reagan Johnson. And uh, when Carla found out she was pregnant, which, by the way, was a surprise, um, but when she found out that she was pregnant, they told her that there's complications that are coming along with this pregnancy and this child. And sure enough, she went and had this child, and sure enough, Reagan has really challenged her first few months as she was in the hospital just trying to learn how to eat by herself and, and breathe by herself. And then she had to stay there even longer because her heart was underdeveloped and so needed surgery, so they had to, they, but she wasn't ready for surgery, so they had to delay it a little bit longer. So she spent months and months in the hospital just, just trying to get to a place where she can actually be on her own a little bit. And so you think about that, right? Sometimes in, the, in those moments you think these challenges are so huge. It's hard to actually see the goodness of God in any of that. But I was reminded of that, of the beauty of God, the surprise of God this week as Carla posted pic Christmas pictures of little Reagan. I've got them up here. <laughs> That's little Reagan Johnson, interactive, getting healthier by the day, stronger by the day. I mean, you look at that, you can't but help say, thank you, God, for your good gifts. Thank you, God, for your good gifts. Because before you decide that God doesn't know what he's doing, just keep, on, keep opening the gift. Just keep opening the gift. Now, it's interesting to study why the Jews kind of rejected uh, Jesus as the Messiah. Um, it's because when, when they study the prophetic passages that talked about the Messiah in the Old Testament, they only ever focus in on the, on the victorious ones, the ones about the Messiah coming in and ruling and conquering and taking over the world and that kind of stuff, you know. And they dismissed or disregarded prophecies like Isaiah 53 that he would come and suffer and be bruised and beaten, you know. They, they, they felt that way, that the Messiah was going to be this conqueror, not necessarily this suffering servant, right? And not too much has changed for us. We kind of reject Jesus sometimes because he doesn't seem to be the kind of Messiah that we're expecting or, or wanting. I mean, what kind of Savior doesn't save us from cancer? What kind of savior doesn't save me and my family from foreclosure? What kind of savior doesn't save my marriage? What kind of savior doesn't save your child? And here's what you need to know about Jesus and understand about Jesus. Jesus did come to save, but he didn't come to save you from the Romans. He came to save us from eternal separation from him. He came to save us from hell itself. I want you to imagine it this way. You're in a hotel room. You're lying in bed, and, and maybe you, some of you travel, and you've spent time in hotels, and suddenly in the middle of the night, the alarm goes off, and you're hearing the fire alarm. And, you know, sometimes it's just a false alarm. It just happens. But you hear the fire alarm, and it goes off, and you pop your head up for a second just to see is it a false alarm or is it the real deal and when you open your eyes you realize your room is already filling up with smoke and you realize this is the real deal I'm in a fire there's a fire going on somewhere 
Before long, you find yourself coughing and you're just thirsty and it's getting hotter and hotter in the hotel room that you're in and you're trying to figure out how to, what to do and what to do next. And so you, as on your way out the door, you grab this like $4 bottle of water because <laughs> you're thirsty. You drink some of it and you start, you know, feeling your way out of, the, out of the hotel, down the hallway. And as you're going down the hallway, you hear from one of the rooms a, a whimpering cry and some coughing and hacking going on inside of one of the rooms. You know that there's somebody in there. So you knock the door down and you see a woman in the corner, huddled in the corner. Her room is filled with smoke. She's coughing. She's hacking. She's thirsty. And so you walk up to her. You have this bottle of water. You walk up to her. You hand her the bottle of water and then you walk out of the room. Is that what would happen? Look, we have a Savior who does not always give us a drink of water that we think we need. But instead, will put us on his shoulders, carry us out of the fire. Jesus came to save, but he didn't necessarily come to save us from the Romans. He came to save us from hell and eternal separation from God. So when Jesus is announced before his birth to Joseph, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. She, talking about Mary, will give birth to a son... And you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there are some gifts that you don't really realize how precious of a gift it is until you actually need it, right? Have you ever experienced that? Where you had a gift, like somebody gives you that emergency backup battery that basically sits in the trunk of your car? It's like, well, like if, they, if that's your primary gift for Christmas, you're kind of like a little bit disappointed, all right, thank you, Christy, for that very practical gift that I'll never use, right? That's how you feel. But it becomes important in an emergency, doesn't it? And I think this is the way it is for those of you and us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You understand that. Now, for many years, let me just talk about myself here. For many years, I have always felt and known that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, Every one of us can probably, if you're a believer here, you would say, I reckon I'm a sinner in need of a savior. But it's only been until like in the last 10, 15 years of my life where I've, it's changed a little bit. I'm an awful sinner. And Jesus is a great and good savior. And just that change in language changes how I receive this gift. When I recognize myself as this awful sinner, I desperately need the best gift ever, which comes in Christ Jesus. That Greek word, perlambano, that is used, it's an interesting, if you study it through the Gospel of John, in John chapter one, he uses, John uses it to, to talk about how the Jews did not receive him. He doesn't use it again until John chapter 14 and verse three, where, where, where Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples because he's gonna be taken up into heaven and he's leaving, and so he's, this is what he says. I will come again, talk about Jesus, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will come again and receive you to myself. He uses the word perlambano there. Jesus is speaking of a day that he will come to receive those who have received him. He'll come to embrace those who have embraced him. He's talking about the second coming. It's interesting, this... this uh, Past couple of weeks, I've been uh, looking at some archives and the Assemblies of God history and stuff like that. And it's interesting how, how over time, the sermons have changed a little bit over time. That if you go back 7,500 years 
to the sermons that were preached back then. But every third sermon was about the second coming of Christ. I think part of that is because of a perspective that they had back then and a reality of their everyday life, that they were living in what they would have considered a living hell and that their only hope was to give their lives over to a risen Savior who would rescue them and embrace them and one day rescue them from this hell. But as things have gotten better for us, a little more comfortable, we kind of gravitate towards, we kind of like the Christmas Jesus better than the crucified Jesus. A little saying around here, and we say, come just as you are, but don't stay that way. Come just as you are, believe, believe, but don't stay that way. Receive him. That's the idea behind this. Start off today by talking about this, um, this story of the rich king, right? And I, and I, and I, ho- I wish that I could tell, finish that story. It says this was the only way where the rich king became a peasant. I wish I could say I f- that in finishing the story that they lived happily ever after. Kind of like this image up here. They lived happily ever after, right? And I wish I could say that that's your story. But I can't. I can't finish the story for you. Because the truth is, it's not just about believing. It's about receiving this gift. And I can't do that for you. Only you can. So come just as you are. Believe. But don't stay that way. Embrace the best gift ever. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to spend just a moment here in worship. What I'm asking you to do, our prayer teams are going to be here. What I'm asking you to do is, if you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm one of those. Maybe I have silently rejected Christ. It's a harsh term to say rejected, but, but I'm not embracing him. I'm not really receiving him. And I want to challenge you to come out, step out. Our prayer teams will be here. We'd love to pray with you. It's very simple. It's very easy. It's just simply saying, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. God takes care of that from that point on. He starts teaching you and talking to you and training you and discipling you. And, and then you get a part of a body. But, but it starts with this a simple surrender. I go from believing to receiving. Amen. This is the Life Church Podcast.